Zero four zero Alpha, confirm that's bombs dropping on Mazdrak. Fucking hell! How was it going back to battalion after after Catrick then? Did you um, slide back in into a section and you know take over section or what? What, what sort of role were you doing next? Well, so that that's when I transferred to three Scots, mate. Right. So when I was in, when I was in Carrick, um, the Highlanders were on Herrick Eight, and I, I tried to get released early to go on tour. Um, couldn't go, and then the the thought of like going back there, not done in like a combat tour like what they've just done, you know, not knowing when you'll get the experience to do it again, kind of got to me a wee bit, but also. You know, the, the, like the Highlanders, CEO and RSM at the time came over and like, look, what, what do I do when you go back? And I said, well, what do you see in your back? And like, well, because you're young, you know, we'll, we'll put you back and you can do like Warrior DMI. Learn like how to fucking teach people how to drive the Warrior. And you become a Warrior Sergeant. And then we'll look at putting you on seniors. And I was like, nah, I don't really want that. Because you know, that would be me trapped. Because they're, they're not going to send someone away who's qualified in that role to then go and do a different fucking job. Mm. So um we Tommy Brady was in my training team at the time and he's like, yeah, look, three Scots are gonna um Afghan two thousand and nine, like summertime, should transfer over. And then he told me they were like moving Inverness. So it's not a bad deal for me, mate, coming from the fucking Schneck. Wow. So yeah I transferred over mate and then it was a weird one. So like uh I was still in Catterick. Catterick released me to go and do the pre-deployment training. Um, I'd done that, and then I went back to Catterick, mate, done my handover. And then I was only in the fort for probably six weeks, six, seven weeks. And then straight out on tour, mate. It was uh, good. So you, you, uh, you went straight from Catterick to the battalion and done six weeks sort of pre-deployment training? Yeah, and then I then I went back to Carrick to like do my handover, right. and then back back to Free Scots, mate. But bit of a weird one, is it not? Yeah, I mean, so I think uh, I think at the time Free Scots knew they were going to be on quite a punchy tour, and if I missed the pre-deployment training, I wouldn't have went from the start, sort of thing. Right. Okay. And it also gave me a chance to like, meet the guys and get embedded with like the platoon I was joining and whatnot. Yeah. It was quite good. Yeah. So post uh, Catrick, then you you join uh, three Scots and you're you're obviously a section commander um, in Alpha Company. No, Bravo Company, six platoon mate. Oh fuck, that's right. Yeah. Um, how was that? Um, it was kind of a weird one, mate. So I, I don't know if Mister uh, Paul they talked about it, but the dynamics of the platoon that he had. There was quite a lot of pushback from the um, section commanders that he had there. So there was me and there was someone else. And then there was like, a Lance Jack 
um, as the other section commander. And then the the full school didn't go on with Mr. Halliday at all. Like they, they clashed, mate. But in the same way that full school was also friends with fucking Fumez at the time. And then they clashed. So like there was like Fumez and the section commander and then they didn't go on with Mr. Halliday. And I'm in there thinking, this is fucking weird, mate. Like I don't know anyone from Yeah. I, I didn't know anyone at the time and I'm I'm like noticing this, you know, it was a like, really bad mate. It was like, a toxic environment sort of thing. Yeah. Yes, I was just link. I was I was stopping there and just linking that the second episode of the podcast that I've done is with the platoon commander that you're you're referencing there, Mister Halliday. Yeah. Um. You know, so if you want to go and listen to what his story is, um, you can go and fucking listen to that. But that's a that's a, re- a weird one uh, because um, it's kind of unusual to to have. You know, sets commanders and platoon sergeant. I mean, it's not unusual, really, is it? It's, but it's you know, it's definitely frowned upon. Like everyone should know their place. That's what's unusual. Yeah. It's not unusual yeah. for sets commanders and platoon uh, sergeant to have a friendship, but what's unusual is to not know their place. Um, yeah. I'm not. I'm not saying that they were out of place. I'm just saying what you're saying is there was a, a rift sort of thing. Yeah, I think it was more like a personality sort of clash. Yeah, and um, I mean, as soon as I went there, I I got on well with Mister Haldy. Like we we hit off quite well. I think cause as well as like more of the, I had the experience of being a catic and then a, a done tours before. But you know, we we just got on like like a house on fire, mate. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then that that sort of changed. So that when we actually deployed, um, that section quite removed the uh, platoon mate. And we got fucking Dunkey Bruce, so it was, it was loads better. Um, but yeah, so I think, so obviously that up where then Fumez got shot, I think if we if we didn't get Danny Buist then stepping up, I think it would have been quite a, lot, quite a different tour for us with the way that the dynamics of the platoon were going. Right, okay, yeah. <laughs> and so what, what happened with, with Fumez getting shot? That's a platoon sergeant. Yeah, so I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't laugh here because it's like the, it's like the, the funniest. It's probably like one of the funniest things I've like seen, like, in in like a in like a squally six sense of humour way. Yeah. So we're going into an ops box called Ops Box Dingle, and the BRF were bouncing about and they were doing like recce with fire, and we actually it was like the the first big contact from B Company. So we went in, and I remember me and um, do you remember we courtsy? Mm-hmm. We met of course. So he was um, he was in my section mate. So he was the valing man. I remember valing into this compound. We went into and the walls were only like waist high. Went two fire positions up against the wall. Um, old he was in my section as well. And we're just on the wall. We've seen all the locals like leave out the area as you do. No, you're like fucking all right. Here we go. Right, is it real when the locals leave? It's going to kick off. And then, funny enough, it did kick off, mate. So we're all in the compound, and then the contact stopped, and it will start again. It was just throughout the day. And remember, we we Blakey, we shaky Blakey. So he was a sharpshooter at the time, mate, and he was up on the roof, and he managed to fucking he shot like one of the gunmen, 
and he was like lying dead on the roof and he's like, oh, I fucking got him. And obviously everyone was wanting to go up and have a look for the scope to, <laughs> uh, to, have, to have a look at it, mate. <laughs> but, uh, get that, get that <laughs> killed. But uh, yeah, so I always remember Fumez going up the roof to have a look and we got contacted again. And I swear it was a ricochet because you heard it like hit the wall and then like ping away. We thought nothing off it. No, we all took cover. And then a few minutes came around the corner, mate, holding his arm, like, oh, I've been shot. Ah. And then, like, put himself in the recovery position. <laughs> but, he, <laughs> but he didn't get on well with, um, remember Willie Yemen? Yeah. So he, he didn't get on well with him. Um, and he was a team medic. And Willie Emmons like, running over, you know, trying to fucking sort him out. He was going to give him morphine. And he said, no, get the fuck away from me. I don't want fucking morphine. Fuck off. You know, I don't want him near me. Fucking Mongo. <laughs> and Willie, Willie Emmons was just like, okay, sign me. And then went to leave. And he's like, give me the morphine. So he's okay. Fucking give me the morphine. <laughs> it was just funny, mate, because you're like, fuck yeah. He's, he's like, this is our first contact. He's like, the platoon sergeant's been shot. He's like, put himself in the recovery position. <laughs> but yeah, you know, but lucky enough, it wasn't like, you know, still a serious injury, but not as serious as what it could have been. And he, he like survived it and stuff like that. But yeah, and then that's when Danny Beers took over the platoon, mate. So he was FSG, one of the FSG sergeants at the time. And he was attached as with a jab debt. And yeah, he, stayed with the platoon mate and like him and Mr. Halliday they they were like brothers mate, you know, they were like, un- inseparable. And yeah. you know, they, they got on really well and you know, it showed in the platoon mate the, the amount of respect the platoon has and the the guys like still do have for Mr. Halliday and Danny Beers mate, it's unreal. They like, couldn't mm-hmm. ask for any better guys to like, take over the platoon. Brilliant. So it was quite good mate. <clears throat> Did he take over on that up, or did it did it happen after or not? Did someone step up and put in sergeant, or did he? No, he, he stepped up straight away, mate. Right. So um, we when once few men got Kazibat, we went into like a like a desert heights sort of thing, and yeah, Danny. I don't think he was meant to stay with us for the the, the duration. It was just probably meant to be for the op. But yeah, he ended up staying with us for the duration, mate. Which is quite good because then he he's. He was close friends with um, Craigie Weir and Rabbi Creed as well. So, you know, if they get on, everyone gets on. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that was quite good, mate. Yeah, that's class. Um, did you enjoy that that sort of fucking um, pace, of, pace of ops and the two that we had uh, back in 2009? Fucking loved it, mate. There's probably, I remember speaking to Glenn Simpson. A couple of years ago, we were like messaging each other, mate, and we were like fucking spinning bits about uh, one of the Sangin ops we done. And I just remember like saying to him, like, we'll never be that cool again. Like, never. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's true, yeah. there'll, there'll never be another op like it, mate. I've already, I've already resigned myself to the fact that I'll never be that cool again. The fact that when yeah. I was 18 years old, for fuck's sake. But, um... it's, it's just that. It's hard to explain to people, mate, what it's actually like. Yeah. And when you tell them, when you tell them stories, like people have never been away on tour before, when you tell them stories, they look at you as if they think, "Are you like exaggerating what you're telling me?" And you're like, "No, this is like pucker gen, like 
what it was like. The big thing that the big thing is, I think, is why we never took as many casualties is because we couldn't do like full platoon company attacks, and it's it's kind of. It's kind of weird if you, you know, if you, let's say you've not been to Afghan and let, you don't know why you can't do that, but as an infantry company, infantry rifle platoon or company, you cannot do a full company or a full platoon or even a fucking full section attack in Afghan um, at that time. Just because the fucking IEDs are everywhere. Everywhere you move has to be fucking checked and, you know, you know, if there's any sort of anomaly, it needs to either be diverted or, you know, fucking checked um, by a metal detector and fucking exposed what's underneath there before you can actually make a move. So to do a full platoon attack and, you know, you've got guys running all over the place, left, right, centre, at pace with fucking momentum, like, it just can't happen. Like, it's meant to happen. Yeah. <clears throat> um so I think that's maybe why we didn't take as many casualties and like in general, like Afghan, we you never took as many casualties like let's say the Falklands or even fucking World, uh, World War Wars did, uh, World War Wars, World Wars. <laughs> Fuck me, what the hell is that saying? But um, yeah, like you come into contact and you, you know you everything's every single thing's different to what you've been taught. Yeah, hundred yeah. um, percent. Yeah, how how so you were sex commander there, like obviously you're in contact every single day pretty much. Um what was your experiences being a, a screw at that time? Like because that's that's what you fucking joined for. That's your pinnacle. Yeah, I mean it's uh, I remember one of the, the standing ops we done, mate. It was a twenty-four hours. Um we had like the SPS with us as well, no, because we were doing like narcotics raids with them. So I remember um, six platoon we. So we, if it was like Helmand Ops, we'd fly from Bastion, wouldn't we? And if it was in Kandahar, the Higher Darkness, we'd fly from Kandahar. But for this Sanganop, because of the lack of British helicopters, we flew from Kandahar and I think it was Canadian Chinooks, mate. So because of the, the flight time from Calf to Stangen. So everyone was on the ground at the same time. Uh, we flew to like a like a desert leaguer just short of Stangen mm-hmm. as a platoon. And then the Schnooks came back, picked up the rest of the company. They went and landed. And then they came and picked us up. I remember when they came to pick us up, mate, um, there was like loads of fucking empty cases on the floor. There was like a belt 762 on the floor. And like me and Duncan Bruce used to always like sit at the front, so we were like the first off. I remember picking up the belt of fucking 762, like tapping Duncan on the leg, being like, fucking some Mongols dropped the fucking link. And he's like, oh, for fuck's sake. And I remember the tail gunner on the Chinook, like coming past, like fucking grabbed out of my hand. He's like, hey man, that's fucking mine. We're going to need it, but we're going. Fucking hell, what's he on about? <laughs> like, not a clue what he was on about. Just like totally like he's just fucking snatched that link out of my hand for no reason. But then you look on the floor and there's like brass all over the floor. And I'm thinking, fucking hell, what's like going on here? So as we fly in the Sangin, mate, obviously the Chinooks fucking drop down, fly like almost skimming the fucking rooftops of the compounds. And everything just lit up, mate. Green tracer flying everywhere. The door gunners are fucking firing. The 
SBS guy we had on with us, his name was Screwy, mate. He was sitting on the, the back tailgate with his fucking M4, fucking shooting his M4 out the back. <laughs> I just remember looking at Dunky, mate. I remember looking at Dunky thinking, what the fuck's going on here? And we landed, mate. And I always describe it as like something at Saving Private Ryan. You know, like the first fucking, the first scenes of Saving Private Ryan where they jump yeah. off the, the boat. Just running into the darkness, mate, with tracer pinging everywhere. The the miniguns firing off the Chinook, mate, and it's like pitch black apart from all these fucking rockets getting fired. And then the Chinooks take off and it's like silence, mate. And it's, I always remember that silence. You know, when the first time the Chinooks like fly away, mm-hmm. it's like the loneliest you'll ever feel. But I've never experienced like loneliness like it, mate. You're out there and you're just like, you're not by yourself, but you know, you're with everyone else and you're in the same sort of shit together. Well, yeah, um, it's um, it's such a fucking weird feeling because obviously this is a, this is a Afghanistan. Like like yeah. I said, I didn't even know there was a country called Afghanistan before I got there. And now you're landing in this place called Sangin, never been there before. You have no idea about how big the country is, how, you know, you know what the buildings are like. You get off and it's just like, right, you look around, like, I can see mountains fucking in the distance. I'm looking, I can see a couple of compounds. It's like, I have no idea where the fuck I am. I don't have a map, like, that's out of my hands. Like, you just, in a fine position, looking into a fucking, into, like, a pathway or a, a hedge or, like, a, not a hedge, a field or, um, like, at a compound or something like that. You're just thinking, yeah. like, this is all I need to do right now is just cover my heart. It's like, fucking... You have no idea about the depth of what's actually going on around you at the time. That's like coming from a fucking a joke, but nah. So I, I remember, mate. We, we went into our target compound first with the, the SBS guy and his like. Um, what were the, the Tiger teams? Were they the Afghan SF? Yeah, the Tiger teams. I think they had. A, a, I think they had an FSSG SFSG guy attached as like the search commander type type did. Yeah, mentor or whatever. So we went into the compound. We found like locals, the um, opium presses and stuff like that. So the SPS dude's fucking um, screwy. He he left his day sack on the Chinook mate. So all he had on him was his fucking rifle, his like, plate carrier, no water, no foods, no ammo. He just fucking left it on. But he blew up the press. And I remember Mr. Halliday being like, "Okay, well, you can take your section." Over the open ground, mate, we'll head, like, hit the tree line and then we'll go head, meet up with the company. And I remember, mate, like, stepping out to that open ground, it was like, probably about 100 metres into it. And then just the fucking ground erupting, mate, with like fucking rounds buzzing about us. And obviously, we've been in contact before, but it was like, you're behind a compound wall, mate. You feel invisible behind that wall, but I'm stuck in the open now. Fucking digging in with my eyelids. I've got half my section stuck in the open. The rest of the platoon's on a bun line in cover. And I'm like, fucking hell. Like, going back to what you were saying about like, being a section commander. Like, trying to, like, build up the courage to actually, like, do your, your job. No, without, like, worrying, like, if I stick my head up now, I'm going to get shot. Just, like, having that courage to, like, actually command. You know, it was quite... Cause, You've got you're scared, but you've got to show the jocks that you're not scared. Because mm-hmm. then, do you know what I mean? So you're putting on an act for them. But I remember we, we got the fire position, mate. It took us about fucking two minutes to find it, and 
I've carried the 66 like for the last couple of ops, never fired it, thinking, fuck it, I'm going to fire this. I remember like getting on my knee, clipping off my fucking camelback, mate. I'd always remember like Danny telling us, if you're going to fire it, like aim low, always aim low, because then like the round fucking, because he's at a javelin guru, so he was like talking about the round like, trajectory and stuff. Yeah. I remember seeing the firing point in the roof, mate, and just like firing a 66. Like, not a clue what I was doing, reading the instructions off the fucking tube, mate. <laughs> no, the boot. <laughs> reading the instructions in the middle of contact <laughs> you go to back to front you're like right fucking hell flip it round yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right, looking at it like what's he doing right okay fucking <laughs> I remember firing at me and getting that firing point and like the contact stopping and thinking fucking hell yeah, that's like like seeing an explosion like I've just caused that explosion like stop on the firing point like stop the fire peeled back into to cover and I remember Mr. Howdy going, right, Wellsy, if you get your section now and like head down that way. And I remember just looking at him thinking, I've just been like stuck in the open with my guys. <laughs> get another section to go. But like so that was that was my thinking at the time. But see now the more I think about it, he had obviously done that to keep me busy. So I, w- I wouldn't think about like what had just happened. Mm-hmm. And um yeah we got hit again going back down that way. And we were stuck in that compound for like most of the day, but even then when we came out the compound, mate, he was like, right, well, see, we're just gonna gonna head over that way now. And then just getting the jobs being like, look, lads, we need to go out in open ground now to the next compound. We've got about 150, 200 meters to go, let's go. And then going for it. But then let's see, fucking 50 meters in the open ground, mate, contacted again. Like, it must have happened about four times in that one day, mate. I swear I had like a big sign like saying fucking shoot shoot here. <laughs> but yeah, just like building up that courage, mate. You know it's gonna happen. Like it's it's not going away. And just like building the courage, getting the guys like built up, G'd up for it, mate, and then just actually stepping out into the open ground again. It's you know, it's not easy, but if you've got a job to do, haven't you? you've just got to crack on with it. Like, knowing it's going to happen is, uh, I'll relate back to, um, well, he done that. Every morning, every night, dusk and dawn, we'd have fucking mad, a mad half hour or a mad hour of, you know, enemy enemy attack, essentially. Sometimes yeah. just, you know, they'd, they'd shoot us for a fucking half hour. Sometimes it, they, they would try and attack on the actual fucking, uh, on the PB. Um, but, yeah, like... Like we all like we knew it was coming so much so that we got the whole company stood to good to go, full kit on, you know, weapons prepped, and then as soon as it happened, when we were all up in the walls and we we're all good to go to react, like it's almost like sometimes it's like you can time it, and then yeah. just that you can time it when it's not going to happen, like in the midday heat, you know, you're not going to get contacted in the the peak hours, like you're not going to be, well, you can bet your bomb dollar you're not going to be fucking. Uh, fighting in the midday heat it's going to be between early hours in the morning when it's uh, when it's light and and cool up until it starts to get too hot and too uncomfortable to fucking operate let's say like half 10 11 and then you have that pause until like uh, maybe three something like that and then just carry on yeah um but yeah it's like you said it's predictable and you know um it's just how you how you best deal with it if you you know, try and be as prepared as you can, try and, you know, anticipate, you know, where you're going to move to. Um, 
anticipate ac- actions on and stuff like that. But you know, if you go all that squared away, then you, you you should have the courage, like, and you should have the confidence that no matter what what goes down, like you you'll be squared away, and yeah, you know, uh, you'll be able to fucking react to what what's going on. Um, yeah, talk more about some other ops that you that you done in into 2009, because um, I know you obviously done fucking an absolute shit ton. Can you mem- remember any that stuck out for you as being pretty cool for just whatever whatever reason? I remember, I think you talked about it as well, when we were in the height of darkness, mate, and we landed in that fucking minefield. Yeah. With the, the three body systems. And like, like you said, mate, I remember walking, you're like, you're walk, you, you see all the, the rockets firing, the fucking Apaches are giving it big licks, and you're walking towards that, mate. Like you are, you're walking into that, and you're like, "What the fuck's going on here?" And then, yeah. you know, like any any other person would run, but we're actually like walking towards it, mate. I the always thing, remember the high darkness. The thing about that, like, uh, I think I failed to mention at last time that where we were, it was eerily quiet, but yeah. where everything was going on was like an absolute fucking ex- just constant explosion, is all I could, you know, describe it as. And it was about, I don't know, maybe two or three Ks away. And like, that take you maybe an hour to get there or something like that. I don't know. Maybe less than two Ks. Maybe about, yeah, maybe about two Ks. But it would take you about an hour to get there. Um, and so you're walking towards it. And like, as you get closer, it's getting louder and louder and louder. And there's more and more rockets and more and more fucking 30 mil cannon getting blasted. And you're like, fucking hell. Yeah. Here we go. Um but yeah, like as we actually got close to it, it's you know, I guess Apache's fucking <laughs> they fucking zapped every cunt. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the video from that? Yeah, I remember seeing it, mate, and just like seeing the the Chinooks landing, and then like a fucking battalion of Taliban like running from one compound, mate, like literally next door to it. Yeah, the video's on YouTube. Uh, I'll probably try and get it in the dis- uh, in the description below. Uh, but yeah, like the first couple of seconds, of like maybe twenty seconds of that video shows like uh, the guys landing, uh, Alpha Company landing in the in the fields, and then twenty seconds later, you got like you said, a full company of fucking Taliban running about, like spreading out all and trying to go to their stand to positions and you know, organized. They're not. It's not as yeah. if they're just all running in the one direction, running away. They're all organized and they're all moving in groups of two and three, and they're all going to their pre pre deposed uh, positions. Um, but yeah, that, the Apaches, mate, it just fucking tear those cunts up, mate, in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember what it was, mate. I don't know if it was. Remember, we done that, uh, the 20 Forever one after I don't know. We literally just went in, got shot at, stayed still, and then like bugged out. Um, I, you know, you maybe need to give me a bit more description. I, they all merged, so, me, my memory's terrible, and they all can emerge into one. Yeah, so I remember coming back from Iron Army and uh, we done this, it was a, a 24 hour up in Kandahar. And I remember it was just, uh, it was basically a recce by fire just to see if anyone was there. And we got contacted. Once we got contacted, the nose team was like, well, that's like, mission's complete. We're, we're bugging out in the morning. And I'm not sure if it was that one where the the I star picked up the Taliban going to ambush the the HLS. Do you mind that? We had to like oh, move to another HLS. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the Taliban were fucking making monkey noises, mate. <laughs> I remember oh, sitting yeah. in, the, in the 
I remember sitting in the dark, mate, with a fucking Taliban, like fucking making all these animal noises, like shitting my pants, thinking they've they're ambushing us again. It's fucking mental. I remember having like so I was part of the uh, the company search section, so it was our job to like clear all the HLSs and stuff like that. Uh, I remember going out in one of these HLS uh, HLS clearing tasks, and um, you know, like all the companies behind me, and I'm like walking out into this open field with my valin, like clearing the fucking this this basically a fucking field, a full field. I'm clearing a full field <laughs> with me and another bloke with a valin, um, and like. All I've been told all day long is that they've got eyes on, they've got eyes on, they've got eyes on, like, and then it gets dark and it's like, yeah, they've got eyes on, they're going to attack, they've got eyes on, they're going to attack. And like, I'm now going out here on my own, the full company sitting in a compound behind me. And it's me and two of the guys who were clearing like six HLSs and I'm fucking, I'm looking at the ground, looking at the fucking, the, the lights on my valley. And I'm, I'm like, if I don't look up here, I'm going to get fucking waxed. Somebody's going to come, come out and fucking, uh, slit my throat or something like that but yeah um the shit that runs through your head is fucking it's it's crazy but funny at the same time like you know like yeah. that that paranoia but at the same time you're like yeah i'm fucking i'm i'm good i'm good i'm good you keep telling yourself you're good you're good you're good uh, <laughs> but yeah it was, it was funny um i remember doing that on the 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 the, the dwyer up we cleared all the hlss and it was like yeah rolex 24 hours it took us about two hours to clear like the six hlss and it was like, yeah, uh, I just finished clearing the last one. It's like, yeah, we're going to Rolex 24 hours. Um, so then all that work I'd just done was for fuck all. <laughs> we went back to yeah, the compound. We, we compounds. we got told we were getting picked up the next day of fuming. <laughs> I my tits in for two hours. I remember landing in Fog Dwyer, mate, and uh, we just went in. It was the, that big fucking tent, so no air conditioning and covered in sand. <laughs> And I remember, like, we were only there for, like, 10 minutes. Nobody had even left the tent. And I remember, like, the, the IQ, like, coming in. I think it was uh, Houston, the, the wee guy with the moustache. I remember him, like, coming in, like, giving us a burst because somebody had broken the fucking uh, guitar hero oh, in the, American, the, the American's welfare suite. And he's like, <laughs> he's an all fucking band. So we've not even been in it. Fuck's sake. <laughs> Yeah, the sandwich, the the um the sandwich place as well raided everything in their fucking sandwich yeah. place. It was like an honesty thing as well. It was like you go in there, you maybe just make a wee sandwich and like, it's like you know help yourself. And then you got a full a full company of guys just going in there raiding every single thing from every single jar, all the drinks, <laughs> all the Gatorade sachets, everything, mate. We're like, what the fuck, Gatorade sachets? Like as a Brit, as a Brit, you're looking at that thinking that's fucking gold dust. Yeah, you don't get fucking banned. You get banned. I know you're banned. Yeah, stay in your fucking tent and don't come out. Fucking animals. I know. It's fucking hilarious. <laughs> that place was an absolute shithole, though. Like the yeah. the. So you got I don't even know what you call it. Is it magic dust or something like that? I can't remember. But it was basically like talcum powder sand. Yeah. Um, and you literally just walk in and your feet would just disappear up to like mid shin of just fucking deep talcum powder texture like like sand it was fucking weird and that sand would get fucking everywhere dusty as fuck yeah, it was a horrible place mate yeah we were just a fucking target while well, they built a fob for that fob weren't we we had a distraction 
Yeah, I think so. And uh, we were clearing, they were clearing a bazaar. Well, we, cle- yeah. we ended up clearing a bazaar. I don't know if that was just for shits and gigs, but um, well, that's that's what the, uh, I think the main effort was at the time to clear this bazaar, make sure it was fucking, you know, they're not hiding any weapons or ID components and all that sort of stuff. And we did find a few wee bits involved, but, you know, no big caches or that like we were promised. Um, I've got a fucking gleaming story about that because remember how we, we got there? We flew there on a, a C-130 um, and then on our rock, because we were so far south, like they were like, oh yeah, we're not going to be using any any of our airframes. We're going to have to use the what the Marines have got. We're like, yeah, oh, the fucking C-stallions. Like, company's like, yeah, no problem, blah, blah, blah. So then anyway, we were like, I remember sitting in a truck, like not even knowing what I'm going into. And yeah, they're like, oh yeah, like line up in your chalks. We're stood there. I was like, well, what fucking direction are we going? And like, what, like, what's the seat in order? Like, who's who's going where? Like, you don't have a clue. And so anyway, we jump in these things that, and they, I can't remember. They looked like Merlins, but they were old as fuck. What were they? Do you know? I think it was the Sea Stallions. I have no idea. But they, they were old anyway. They were old. They yeah. Fuck. And uh, so my platoon, we, we all got, we got the platoon in one and uh, taking off, mate, and it's, it's going, it's taking off and it's making some sh- fucking scary sounds like, you know, like it's, <laughs> like the engine's about to cut out. Yeah, it's like, and it's taking off, it's going, <laughs> and going down. <laughs> and it's going down and it's going, I'm sitting in my seat like, fuck, 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 this thing's going to drop out the sky. It's going, oh, blah, 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 blah. and it's doing that for about five minutes, mate. And all of a sudden, it's going, oh, all of a sudden, mate. I'm like, fuck, fuck, sitting in there in the pitch dark inside this helicopter, mate. And I'm like, what the fuck was that in my head? I'm like, what the fuck was that? What the fuck was looking left and right? You couldn't see anything, mate. <laughs> we get off, mate, and uh, all, obviously, fucking the brown outside was in the other. Oh, the the noise disappears and it's just stone cold silence and then we've got one guy just like fucking hell fuck fuck's sake fucking hell and uh and so i like listen i like kind of you know on the prone face of my arc so i'm listening in <laughs> kind of looking over my shoulder like what the fuck's going on what's going on anyway like as that helicopter struggling for dear life apparently an oil fucking hose had exploded like off the side <laughs> off the inside of the the helicopter and uh, fucking covered one of the lads uh, in uh, in oil, and like I'm talking head to toe in oil, like uh, fucking I don't even know what like, hydraulic oil or whatever. And so he gets off me in the brown out there, and he's then so then the brown out just covers him in fucking dirt and dust and sand, mate. And he's in shit state for the next fucking two four days, like just covered, filthy as fuck. Is that not uh, Scotty Mackey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then on the very same op, when we were doing the when we were doing our post uh, post op fucking reorg and you know reassemble, uh, <laughs> we were getting transported from the air, from the airhead back to camp in a like a four tonner, and as he was coming down on on the uh, coming down the ladder on the back of the four tonner on the tailgate. He fucking missed, missed a step, mate, and fell back on his day sack, mate. And he had the, the yellow marker paint in his day sack. The fucking tin exploded, mate, and covered every single bit of kit that was in his day sack. Viper, <laughs> fucking, 
Oh, all his ammo, <laughs> every bit of kit that he had in there, mate, it was covered in yellow paint, mate. And then there's yellow paint on the outside his day sack and up his neck, and he's covered in fucking all this oil and dirt from the past three, four days, mate. <laughs> I remember him just being completely fucking snapped. Everyone's laughing at him, like, wait. It could happen to a better guy, he took it well. <laughs> That's fucking cool, eh? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was reorged, mate. That, it's kind of surreal, like, because uh, it was literally you'd go around and you just fucking, you'd wing somebody your your grenade and you'd you'd hand the fucking, uh, I, you know, like a damaged um, grenade in, and you just somebody would just give you a fucking fresh one, and then you'd hand, you'd go and see about getting an extra two white forces, and it's just like help yourself to everything. You need to like rejig your kit up, and it's like, yeah. fucking hell, man. Jesus Christ, get whatever the fuck I want here. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I know. I, I remember, guys, what they were doing was uh, like UGL gunners. They were handing in their um, what was it? They, they were so you get red and white force, don't you? Yeah. And what they were doing is they were obviously they'd fire red force on patrol, and then when they were doing the reorg, they would pick up more white force. So it ended up they were going to patrol, and all they had was just white force. <laughs> <laughs> just because it was so fucking cool um, but uh, that's class but you can literally <laughs> talk about you can like to talk about that tour all day man you got any other uh, tips on it? Um, um, nah I've always had that debate with people like because uh, obviously we've done ops in the Kandahar area and in Helmand don't we and I, I've always said that the Kandahar area, the Heart of Darkness, was by far the most, like, more dangerous than Helmand. Yeah. 100%. And I always remember we, we were getting I mean, orders for... I mean, I mean like, um, places like Sangin, if you're groundholding, like, fuck me, that's that's dangerous. That's more... Yeah. I would say that's more dangerous than what we were doing. But yeah. in the broad scheme of places, like, the yeah the the Kandahar region and especially the places we were going was fucking very very sketchy because there wasn't yeah. any ground holding troops there there was no real there was nobody really cutting about apart from the BRF who would rock up two days before us sort of thing um, and just poke the hornet's nest <laughs> they'd get <laughs> everyone ready in their firing positions and shit like that. That's funny. Sending the jokes. No, I remember <laughs> getting orders, mate, for. Uh... I can't remember what op it was. It was in Kandahar anyway. And it was the Canadian and American like EOT team. I remember getting a break from the ops, mate. Uh, the order, sorry. And the Canadian guy came out with the American guy and they got their fucking spit bottles and stuff. I'm like, yeah, so how many, um, how many of you guys are, are actually going? So I'll just a company's worth, mate, probably like maybe 120 max. Is it for... For the whole lot, yeah, for the whole lot, mate. It's like, fuck, man, these guys are mental. Like, what are you on about? And he was in, he was actually there like two weeks before, and they had to get like tanks to come and fucking rescue them, mate. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, fuck it, mate. A couple of Chinooks in we go. It'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was talking to my mate about the US Marines, and he was saying that when he was training with them, that, that like they just, everything they'd done was just in extreme numbers. And Everything, every move they made was like with fucking Humvees and all these like uh, tactical uh, light armored infantry fucking vehicles. And like the Marines were just, you know, yomping 
um, to positions and, you know, doing the same ranges with just fucking minimal guys. Just like, you know, they're taking on um, a 20-guy tw- range with, or 20 enemy range with a company like like as you're meant to do. And then he was saying that the Marine, the, the US Marines were taking like full battalions and to do this sort of thing. And they were bringing in like warthogs and fucking everything for the for the, uh, for the for the range, and then you just got marine platoon rocking up, just like ooh, ooh, ooh. Um, cutting about me. Yeah, but it's a massive difference, man. Like, and I, I just there's definitely a difference in quality, definitely yeah. unquestionable. I watched um, I watched a thing on Amazon a couple of days ago, mate, called Combat Obscura. All right, and it was about the American Marines in in Afghan. Uh, and they had like two guys with Adobe to be like the, the the press men with the fucking cameras recording everything, and mate, they were fucking smoking hash with the A and A. Like one one of their mates got fucking shot in the head, and they were like trying to kazi back him, but you know he was still alive. And they were putting the first field dressing on, and he was like slumped over, and they're just like fucking throwing him against the wall, and and just watching it, mate. So I always had this like impression of the American Marines that they were like fucking. Like switched on and you know the creme de la creme and then I watched that and it like totally changed my perspective about them like chip shop is fuck unbelievable mate but then that you know that might just be the just a, a bad bunch of the whole core do you know what I mean but, but change changed my perspective on like, watching that yeah I've seen you know just in like YouTube videos and stuff like that and like just uh, documentaries and stuff like you pick up things that you're like, what the fuck? Like, you would never be seen dead doing some of the things that you see or some of the actions that you see the guys taking or even just the, the way in which the, the command operate. You're just like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, what what the British do like very well is like they encourage critical thinking sort of thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, if there's a problem there in front of you, fucking fix it and then ask for forgiveness rather than ask for permission first and let the problem develop uh, which I think is the opposite way in the US military I think it's like get permission first and then fix the problem no matter how bad the problem's getting (laughs) and and every man's not every man in the the British army is encouraged to be a thinking soldier whereas it's the complete opposite it's it's make sure you go through your chain of command first before you you take an action don't do anything until you're told to do that action Um, In the, in the states but um yeah i mean like hats off to anyone that's doing doing that job though it's like like we can highlight a, we can highlight our opinions and say that we like me and you feel that there's a difference in quality and the reason why there's a difference in quality and still have respect for every one of them it's not as yeah. if we're saying that they're that, like they're dog shit and that, that their service isn't valued of course it is but we can like the same time we can just have a, a an opinion about them yeah, I don't want to discredit anyone like that, but um, <clears throat> um, Andy fucking they let us use their helicopters for pretty much every operation and fucking fizzing the night. Yeah, I mean, if it, if it wasn't for them, mate, we would have had what two chinooks between a fucking battle group. We've had about <laughs> twenty trips to fucking get a, a company on the on the ground. Um, <laughs> yeah. Talking about that, actually, I remember like going to Sangin. And it's like a forty odd minute, forty five minute journey from uh, from Kandar. Um, yeah. I remember rightly. I remember falling asleep in this helicopter. I don't know. It was like maybe one in the morning or whatever. And I remember falling asleep, 
And uh, I don't know how long I've been asleep, but I ended up getting woke up by the, the door gunner doing a test fire on his fucking chain gun. And I, I was sat, so like I was, I was obviously here, and like the door gun was here. The chain gun was like fucking going past my head, uh, and he obviously wasn't interested in whether I was awake or not. He just fucking test firing his gun. Um, yeah. yeah, I was a fucking statement. I woke up. I said, "Wow!" I thought my fucking, I thought we'd crashed or something like that. But um, yeah, fucking class time. Good times. Right? Imagine we could have fucking cashed in our air miles, mate. <laughs> rich it'd be interesting to see how much like um, like distance and stuff we actually were covering yeah it must yeah, have been a lot some, some amount of flying yeah it must have been a lot I don't I don't know like a on a a security assistance op but it was like uh, for the local election um, yeah. and it was basically like the Chinooks were going out to pick up all these ballot boxes and they needed a section per Chinook. Or was it a section for the entire thing? I can't really remember. But anyway, like basically it was the job was to just sit in the helicopter all day and anytime they would land, just go out and provide fucking force protection. So yeah. it was fucking pretty cool, mate. Like I got loads of cool photos, um, literally flying all the way up to like um Pakistani border. Um a way out to the the east and then pretty much all the way from Kandahar back again, like just going all the way up to the top and coming back and like stopping at fucking shit ton of locations, picking up ballot boxes and stuff. Um, and it was interesting to see like more of the country and like uh, some of the natural fucking features of the country and then different fobs and stuff. We ended up landing in the US uh, base to get refueled and then, you know, carried on. But I think all in all, it was like a 10 hour sort of, it wasn't even enough. It was just 10-hour tasking. It was pretty yeah. cool. Um, you know, we were, like, fucking getting ahead down on the, on, the, on the Chinook and stuff like that, like, while they were going from place to place. It was, you know, it was fucking pretty cool. Um, you got any other things you want to add on, add on that? Um, nah, mate, because it's probably going to be, like, one of the main talking topics of your your podcast when you get all the all the guys on. Headache 10. I don't think you'll, anyone will ever stop talking about it, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know. Um, and that's it. I don't think they should, though. It's like, let's hear what you've got to say. Yeah. I mean, that, that was, that's, that was, like, on record as, like, the bloodiest summer out of, out of the headaches. Well, yeah, so, um, that was the most deaths recorded in one six-month, um, period like one tour yeah. essentially um of that of, of afghanistan and we ended up doing the biggest is it the biggest air assault since world war Two? yeah yeah the biggest yeah. air assault since world war Two, and we're not even we're not even fucking an airborne unit or anything we just we just managed to end up like that so yeah it's a good accolade to um to having the books um but yeah, it was fucking that time was amazing, mate. And th- and then all the support and stuff that you've got in Kandahar and stuff. So you're going out and doing these tasty ops, and then you come back to Kandahar and you, you've got the boardwalk and you've got American cookhouses and yeah. I remember getting picked up by a. I, I now know what I now know you mean, a, a, a CP bloke. At the time, I just thought fucking hell, this like American cunt in a fucking a B six uh, Land Rover or whatever it's called. Yeah. 
Um, we jump in his fucking wagon. He's giving a lift down to Scoff, and I've got to put the door closed, and it weighs about a fucking ton. Jesus Christ! I was like, I was like, mate, is this thing armored? He's like, yeah, man, yeah. Stop! This will stop. Collection of cars, seven, six, two, short. <laughs> and I'm like, all right, mate, fucking hell, chill. Um, and anyway, he's just ranted like nonstop. He's on permanent send. And then uh, <laughs> you get to the cookhouse, and I cannot remember who I was with, but somebody had stole something out, out of his wagon. <laughs> you get to the cookhouse, like, look, look at this, look what I took out of that guy's wagon. It was something silly, like a fucking I don't know, a coaster or something like that, but um, I had like fucking canned airfield on whatever his job role was, uh, job role was or whatever, but um, yeah, like you just get fucking picked up and lifts and shit down to scoff and. Good times in there. Yeah, it was man. It wasn't just the size of it, mate. It was like a 15, 20 minute walk just to get to like the closest cook house to like where we were. <laughs> I know it was a mile there every morning before you even got a fucking munch in your absolute liberty. I always remember we because we got extra pay, didn't we? Because of the noise off the, the runway. Eventually, yeah. I can remember that being like a contentious issue when I first got there. And we were getting paid more than the people in the fobs. <laughs> they were living in worse <laughs> conditions. <laughs> and they're, they're living like burning shit every day. And we're simply because the, the Harriers are making too much noise taking off. <laughs> Disturbing our sleep. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, that was weird. I actually seen something on LinkedIn the other day. I don't know if you remember, but uh, well, about a month ago now. But remember the Harry, uh, the the jet that went came into land and its front landing gear was stuck up yeah and it landed and then skidded in the runway and like caught fire yeah. and then the yeah. ejected yeah yeah I, I remember that popped up on linkedin the other day um well, yeah like last month or whatever and i was like fucking hell like the the news article of it so i left a wee comment and stuff like that saying i was like i was there at the time i remember this happening um but like, like I've never seen any of the pictures of actually what happened, and then obviously in the article it was all there, like the pilot like fucking midair ejecting about I don't know twenty meters above the fucking jet as it's like on fire skidding down the runway and shit, and then you know. like the picture of like where the pilot landed and like his uh his ejector seat and all that sort of stuff, fucking crazy. It's Remember getting told yeah, this fucking happened today about this uh, jet crash landed and all that? I was like, Jesus, about three hundred meters away. <laughs> but, good times, uh, just madness what were you up to after that then what, what's next in the pipeline um, so done, done seniors mate and then went to A company went over to A company um, so yeah the, right, round about so when I was in A company mate it was um, obviously that incident happened in Auburn uh, Joanne McPherson getting shot. So yeah, I was, I was involved in that, mate. So it's quite a, you know, after everything you've been through in ops, you know, like not nothing like that, like affected me as much. Whereas that training incident has probably like affected me more than be than being on ops because you you don't expect any of that to happen on train. Obviously, the, the risk is there. The risk's always there, mm-hmm. but you just don't expect it to happen. Yeah. Just give a, a brief overview, overview for people that don't know what you're talking about, about what happened. Yeah, so um, we were conducting, um, it was at the Battalion's Battle Camp for 
um, Wessex Storm. So you do the live firing phase to start off with. We were in Otterburn and uh, yeah, one of, one of the first ranges we done was a fire team attack day and night. And it was at night time, so it was a black attack um, with no loom. And yeah, so like the, the first attack went pretty well because it was, you know, we got, had the ambient light from the moon and stuff, but then went quite dark quite quick. And then the second attack, yeah, didn't go didn't go too well. The young uh, young first ended up getting shot in the head, uh, total freak accident. Um, I remember being, so I was the target up for that uh, range of standing with um, with uh, the RCO, Mr. Mitchell. And yeah, I just remember like standing, so we were up on the, the bank looking down and I remember the range starting and then it was like, you just heard someone shout stop. And I remember saying to Mr. Mitchell, fucking hell, that range has finished quite quick. And then the light came on, and I remember Meth like shouting, fucking medic, medic. So I ran down, I went back to the range, I got the stretcher, like fucking sprinted down. Didn't know what was happening, you know, I just thought, you know, he would have broke his leg or whatever. And uh, yeah, it wasn't until like Meth was like, fuck, Wellesley's been fucking, I think he's been shot in the head. His ear defense is like lying on the floor, sort of thing. So we like tilted his head over to the side, mate, and you could just literally see it like just fucking just coming out. So yeah, we, we got him on the stretcher. Uh, obviously the jocks on the range at this time are just there because they're not allowed to move because, you know, you know yourself, an instant happens on the range, they've got to just stay there until... So they're on the range, they're seeing all this happening. Um, get him on the stretcher, we take him up to the hard standing. Um, yeah, just waiting for the paramedics to come. Uh, it was weird, mate, because like Meth and um, Bob Kane, they were like holding his, his head. I was chest compressions, mate. And remember, we, we touched Robo? Yes. So he was like holding his hand, mate. And um, Mr. Bloom was there, like uh, reassuring him, talking away and stuff. And I, I don't know. So it, it took like four or five minutes, mate, for the, like, the civvy ambulance to come. Uh, and you know when you're like on the range and you know you get the safety brief and say yeah so if anything happens and ambulance we get the ambulance at like ERV fucking ERV1 then we'll like escort them in and in your head you're like well the ambulance know where ERV1 is but when the OC like phoned the ambulance because because it was a head injury you're sending a HLS like a helicopter coming and stuff but he like said to the ambulance, yeah, me, like, we'll meet you at our um, FRB Bravo and we'll escort you in. And the ambulance driver was like, where's that? Like, you need to talk to me on the map. So he's like on the map trying to yeah. like, read him. Like, and, like a, a real a real time fucking Tom Tom sort of thing. You know, even had fucking range control that would be, would go and meet them at the entrance to the range. Nah, it was, it's, it's so just, all uh, that. Uh, exercising area. Yeah, all, so all that's kind of like, a, so the range was only 10 minutes away from the camp, mate. And in the camp was where the, obviously the med centre was and stuff like that. And it took like the BFA, like 20 minutes, 20, 25 minutes to actually get to us. Yeah. And where, where the breakdown was, was um, if an incident happens and you've got to go through like the Otterburn Ops room and then they like control it from there. So it's almost like second-hand information getting passed up, and that's what took the time for people to actually get around. But um, but yeah, it was uh, 
you know, I don't have like, not like a sixth sense of humor, but you know, I was like cracking jokes and stuff. I was like trying to, trying to speak to him. And I was like, fucking hell, mate, you'll do anything to get off an exercise sort of thing. Yeah, you know, just, just like, yeah, it's hard to explain. But anyway, I was like, fucking, I was doing the chest compressions and whatnot. And I'm the city paramedic guy came, hooked him up to the machine. And he's like, we just like stopped the chest compressions. So I like, stopped. And then, like nothing flatlined. He said, okay, like start them again. So I started again, then he got like a bit of a pulse. So I was basically kept them alive for all that time, mate. But then, you know, it's like fucking hell. Like you started thinking, so I kept them alive for all that time. Was he in pain for that time? But you do was I doing more worse than good sort of thing? Yeah, well, yeah. pain's a, pain's part of the nervous system and like, you only you only feel the pain if the nervous system's working. If like, like if the brain wasn't working, then you're not going to feel the pain. You know. Um, was he was he like any sort of response coming from at all? Well, you know, we, we were like speaking to him and stuff, and I don't know if we were like imagining it. You know, you can see the odd smile, or like we robe but he was like holding his hand. And he's always just squeeze my hand. So we don't know if we were like you not know, giving ourselves like false hopes. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so God knows me. There's, no there's nothing obvious. It was just slight things that you might, you, you know, you might be making up or you might be. There was I mean, no yeah, so. Education. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that West Storm, mate, but, you know, get it. Say again? Uh, yeah, I, I obviously wasn't there, but, like, what it sounds like, it sounds like it was like an instantaneous sort of death and then because when you do those chest compressions and like what this what the what the um monitor is picking up is just the the fact that there's blood flowing yeah it's not it's not picking up whether the guy's conscious and alive it's just picking up whether there's blood flowing and so you buy chest compressions up that then that's then forcing the blood around so like, you know, I, yeah. I definitely wouldn't hold on to that as like a thing that you kept him alive in pain sort of thing. It's like, well, if you've been shot in the head, it's pretty likely that you're, you're going to die outright. Um, and then you can manually make blood flow around the body by doing chest impressions afterwards. And Yeah, definitely, yeah. yeah I only learned this on like the, the med course. I had to do part of the CP stuff. Um, yeah. And then obviously, I'm sure you know that afterwards that you get, you know, twitches and stuff in the body that's yeah. just, you know uh, that come irregularly and unnaturally so yeah maybe you maybe there was a, a couple of hand squeezes and maybe you were getting a wee smile or something but it might have been you know uncontrollable twitches of the body and you know you you know like i said i don't know what happened but by the sounds of things it probably was was the case that it just it was an instant death has there been yeah, any sort of like grilling or has there been any sort of final um outcome of that situation um yeah so you know they've, they've done the investigation and stuff and published uh, the investigation online with the findings and stuff like that so they, they think that one of the guys actually like shot him by accident but, um yeah well, i won't say his name and stuff you know because it's probably yeah a good t- touch you but yeah so they, they reckon one of one of the guys accidentally mistaken them for for a target and uh, shot him. 
Yeah, I mean, again, again, no. Um, fucking black attack at night. You know, it's 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 called a it's called a black attack because you can't see shit. It's because it's black. Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't see your targets. You can see silhouettes, and um, if you see a silhouette that looks like a fucking target, then you know, you know, if you unhappy, if you happen to be in the wrong place by a sheer. Um, bunch of shit events that's led up to that or you make a fucking wrong move then that's the consequences and that's why infantry training in the, in the British Army is so fucking so good because there's so much on the line you know if you met if you get it up it's you know tragic but if you get it right then you get so much fucking experience from it so yeah um, definitely I think it, I think it definitely needs to continue at that at that level because if you start ramping it back and taking away the the realism and you know the you know, you, you stop. If you, imagine, imagine you just stopped doing black attacks. Your yeah. first contact at night, you'd be completely fucked. And, I, and you know, contacts at night and stuff like that, they're going to be ten times worse on ops, and they would be in a safe range when you've got guys running behind you, telling you when to stop firing, and telling you where to move, and telling you, you know, when someone's running in front of you. So you know, it's it's obviously, like I said, it's a travesty that this happened. Um, but you need to be training at the level that you're going to be on an ops. And this is as close as you can get a black attack at night. It's, you know, it doesn't get much, uh, much tougher than that. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. It needs to be. Yeah. But, um, I mean, uh, I mean, like KFC, so he was at the same at the time, fucking can't fault him, mate, like gleaming bloke. Obviously he's been through his own experiences and stuff like that with uh, his injuries. And actually, just having him there, like to talk to, you know, like he, so him and the seals to come into the range, mate, and the two was to the side, and just you know, unreal, mate. Honestly, like, you can't fault him, and you know, quite a lot of people didn't rate the seal at the time there, but the way that they like handled it and actually like supported the people involved at the time was fucking unreal. Yeah, yeah. and I remember so, um. 2018, mate. Obviously, we were in, on Shader. I came back early to do my boxing coaching course, and um, the person's name was getting put on the you know the wall at the Arboretum. Right. Okay. Yeah, his name was getting put on that, mate. So I got a chance to go down and like with his family to like watch them like on like reveal his name and stuff. It was quite good. But um, Colonel Steele actually came to that, mate. Like he was, so I, I can't remember what job he had at the time, but um, like the, the defence secretary was coming to the, the name revealing because there's another six, seven guys getting uh, added to the wall. So like he came to it and Colonel Steele heard at the time from his office that morning like what was going on. And he heard that McPherson's name was getting put on the wall and he like jumped on the helicopter with him, mate. And like came... Like, I, I seen him there and he's like, fucking hell, where is he? Like, shoot my hand, like, talking away to him. And I, I'd never been there before, mate. Like, I'd obviously seen pictures of it. Have you been yourself, have you? And uh, the National War uh, Memorial. The, the Ar Arboret Arboretum? No, no, no. Nah, so it's like, um, some, like, massive grounds, mate, and there's a, uh, there's a wall there that's got loads of names from all the conflicts of people who have died. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so like after the ceremony, it was weird, mate. He like came up to me 
He said, oh, Wellesley, if you come with me and put his arm around me and took me over to the, to the 2009 panel, the, the guys from the Herrick 10, they're on that panel, mate. So it's quite surreal. He's like, yeah, look, this, you know, there's the guys from Herrick 10. Yeah, just like talking to them, mate. Just like a, it, it was quite a sound bloke anyway. But it was a, a different side that I seen to him. Still? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I always had the utmost respect for him. Like, uh, he was my company commander on, uh, on Herrick Ten. I've, you know, I've, I've, for me, he was my best CEO. Um, and I was, yeah. you know, great fucking company commander as well. Probably my best company commander as well. Um, you know, I, I've got nothing but respect for him as well. And then just obviously hearing that, it's just fucking, it's just a, a credit to him. Um, everyone's got their own opinions, and you know. Yeah, a whole bunch of people. Everyone's going to have people that like them. Everyone's going to have people that don't. But yeah, I fucking I always thought he's top top draw. Like I was, I was glad when he when he got named as that he was coming back to the battalion to to take over CO. Um, yeah, yeah, and a, a couple of them were him and Kev. Was it him and Kev that was CO uh, RSM together? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a that's a gleaming coupling. You know, it's really good. Um, but yeah, that's a fucking that's a, a total shit situation, and it's just one of those things. Like it, it shouldn't have happened, but it happened, and it's just the the, yeah. the harsh realities of being an infantry soldier. You know, you, you have to train at the level that's you know you're bordering on you know being da- being dangerous to train. You know, you you need to get to that level so that when it comes to real life, that you've already experienced something similar. You know. Sometimes yeah, you, you just tip the scale that one too many times, and it's, you know something bad happens. But have yeah. you had any like um, counsel or anything, or do you need any, or have you thought about it in terms um, of? I mean, yeah. So like the obviously trim got put in place. Um, yes, yeah, so we got trimmed and stuff. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm either I've not got the brain the brain capacity, or you know, but. It affected me at the time, but see now, that obviously I still get a bit upset talking about it and stuff, but it doesn't really affect me much where I need to like seek help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the time, yeah, we all got trimmed at the time, obviously you need you need that to you get that tick in the box that you're you're saying to like carry on sort of thing. Yeah. I've uh, I played around I played around with the idea of uh being proactive and like going to see a counsellor just like I've got nothing wrong with me now, but I've, I've played around with the idea that if I was to be proactive and go and see someone, like before anything starts, and just to like you know be documented that I've like that I've spoke to somebody and that they've assessed me, um, you know, and they can give me fucking advice and if I am you know maybe like like going off the wire a wee bit here or there. They can, you know, give me guidance and like say, right, maybe this is something that you don't need anymore. Maybe this is something that you could actually maybe use uh, a bit more and come back maybe once a month or maybe once a year or something like that. I don't know, but I thought about playing around with it, just proactively going to see somebody. Like, like I said, I've got nothing wrong with me, but yeah, you know, it's, it's just something that I was thinking about recently. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's something that needs to be talked more openly about. You know, it's not. Not not necessarily your feelings, but it's your your mental health. Like everyone's going to have fucking you know feelings about all sorts of things, but it's your mental health that you you can't control your mental health unless it 
unless you understand that there's a problem there. And nine times out of ten, guys aren't willing to understand or even admit there's a problem. And if they do yeah. have the problem, and they're they're definitely well, not definitely, but they're more likely not to voice their opinion. Um, and the big point, the big issue with that, and which I've got an issue of, is the fact that if you voice it, voice it in that you've got a problem with mental health while you're still serving, then that's it. Your career's fucking stopped immediately. Like, yeah. to the point where, like, if you're an infantry soldier, you're not allowed to touch a weapon. Like, that's your job. Um, yeah. So I think maybe if you were to, maybe to say, right, this person's got a mental health problem, he's dealing with some stressful situations, which is going to come because of the fucking job. It's a stressful job. But he's not at risk of suicide. He's not at risk of harming anyone else. He's just struggling mentally. Let him let him be part of the community still. Let him still do his job. Give him a sense of purpose. And then only when it becomes a risk to others and themselves, then say, right, this guy's talking about suicide. He said he's, you know, he's 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 you know, he's wanting to hurt someone else, then say, right, that's what you're on, you know, you're on weapons hole and you're not allowed to you know, touch weapons, but I think just saying going in there and saying oh, I'm depressed, and then and then the doctor saying, right, that's it, no more fucking weapon handling for you. You're on a biff chip. You can't do this. You can't do that. You can't go and exercise. Then what? How is that fucking helping? Like you've just taken away everything that that man that that bloke's capable of, and everything that he feels um, married to, sort of thing. So that doesn't help any cunt. Um, but yeah, maybe if you looked at it different and said, look, no suicide risk whatsoever, uh, no harm to anyone else, just dealing with some fucking shit at the minute. Let them crack on, you know, do all the exercise, weapon handling, ranges, everything at normal, but just come and see some counselling. That may be a fucking much better idea. And it's probably going to actually uh, take the stigma away from guys seeking help. 100%. Um I recently touched base again with one of the American section commanders I was with out in um, on Shadermate. So a couple of, I think it was about two months ago, one of his soldiers committed suicide. And um, he he's came up with his own thing in America and it's hit off quite quite big, mate, called uh, Storytime. So maybe try and look it up on uh, Insta. And his understanding is he's like all for... Um, the 25 press ups, 25 days and stuff like that. He's, he's all for that, but he says it doesn't really help. Well, it's good for raising awareness, but you know, 25 press ups isn't going to stop somebody from you know killing himself. They're not going to go on Facebook and be like, "Oh, he's done his 25 today. I'm just going to, I'm not, I'm not going to do it today," sort of thing. So he's come up with a thing called Story Time, mate. And uh, so the date that his his soldier died on was like the 22nd of. I don't know, I think it was um, May or something like that. So he's he's come up with a thing where like the 22nd of each month, if you reach out to somebody you've not spoke to in fucking years, give them a wee phone, give them a wee check-in, mate, and just see how they're getting on. Do you know what I mean? And I think that is quite good. In a way, it's hit off in America, massive, mate. But he's, I've got, he's sending over like bumper stickers now over to me. And oh, yeah. He's like constantly fucking messaging me, but you know that I can see where he's coming from with it all, and you know, I think it's quite a good idea, and it's probably similar to your podcast, mate. So I mean, just helping people vent and stuff, not no pressure of going to see 
going to the doctor or speak to like DCMH, you know, you're just sitting chatting shit and mm. you know, it's, it's good mate. And it, that that is better than doing your fucking 25 press ups. Plus I can't, I probably can't do 25 press ups mate. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, I don't, don't get me wrong, I've done the 25 press up stuff, stuff in the past and like at the time, it, I don't know, like my opinion now is like I wouldn't fucking do them. I would just donate yeah. money to somebody that's yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Needing help, or I would actually like, like you said, reach out to somebody and stuff like that. Posting you doing twenty-two press-ups is, you know, it's kind of narcissistic. It's kind of vain. It doesn't actually achieve anything. Um, and I think I, there, like, it's it was it was good at the start, no, because it was actually genuine veterans going about doing it, and you know, and it was getting people, you know, active again. But and now, mate, it's like other people are jumping on the bandwagon so there's a i've seen people pop up my facebook like civvy chicks doing it like i'm doing the 25 press-ups because i feel like i suffer from anxiety and the way that i look yeah. let's raise awareness and so well, that's not what it's for yeah it's the, it's the exact same thing now with the clap for the nhs shit uh yeah. like listen the nhs has done a fucking good job they've been doing a good job since they fucking started and uh, now they've got a big fucking a big task on their hand. Um, clapping your hands on a Thursday night at eight o'clock is doing fuck all for anyone. Everyone yeah. is, everyone's uh, appreciative of the work that they're putting in at the minute or in the you know while it was going on. But the best thing you can do is fucking go around to your neighbour and say, look, do you need a hand with anything? Do you need me to fucking get your get your Adobe done, or do you want me to fucking go and get your shopping or something like that don't fucking just stand on your doorstep and clap your hands because like like the 22 press-ups thing it doesn't do anything for any country yeah. donate money to a charity like an nhs charity go and fucking actually do something just one thing like maybe even just reach out and say leave them a, uh, an instagram message or a facebook message that's way more fucking um helpful to these people than it is just doing a fucking you know a, a self um um, mate, see, see this. I can't fucking. My, my brain's too good for my mouth. I can't get the fucking words out. A self-promoting fucking task like press-ups or, or clapping. Yeah. And like you yeah. said, people are now jumping on the bandwagon uh, about being key workers, and it's like key workers deserve this. Key workers deserve that. Like, look, NHS is the only real key workers that you've got. Everyone else is just doing their job. Like going to work and stack the shelves at Tesco's. It's a fucking job. It's it's always just been a job. Is it admirable? Yeah, because it's a fucking job. You're getting up and you're going to work and you're doing a hard day's work, an honest day's work. Just like every job's fucking the same. Like cleaners and all these fucking tasks that have, you know, uh, had to keep keep going on for COVID. Um, but the 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 level of self entitlement that comes from that now that I'm seeing you know, is, is damaging to the actual good work that people have been doing um, and it's starting to undermine it all. Um, like I've seen, I seen that some, uh, I've seen that uh, somebody was giving away NHS workers holidays to Ibiza for a week for free and then I went in the comments because I knew what they were going to be like. What about the <laughs> fucking army that have been deployed? What about the fucking shelf stackers? What about my gran who's been isolated for four months and uh, had to get our, our shop and deliver. What about this? I'm like, 
see all yourself, you know, fucking, it's, it's all about what, what am I getting out of it? It should never yeah. be that. It should be like, what can I give someone else? Like, how can I serve somebody else better? Yeah, and it was the same with them. Um, so you used to see, like, uh, I'm a key worker. Is there anywhere I can get my car emoted? <laughs> or, or they would, like, post pictures of, uh, I'm a key worker on night shift. Look what fucking McDonald's has dropped off to us. And it's, like, fucking 20 old Big Macs and stuff. Like, fuck off it. Who cares? Where I'm, where I'm working now, it's, like, um, um, and I, I'm not meant to say who, the, who it is, but it's a fucking technology company that's, you know, world leading. And all, yeah. the, all the customers coming in, they're like, um, yeah, I'm actually a, an NHS key worker. Um, is there <laughs> any way that I can just get straight in and not have to wait in this queue? I'm like, are you taking the piss? Like, in my head, I'm like, like fucking here we go again. I just, I'm just like, no, sorry, you're just going to have to wait like everyone else. Oh, well, I just came off a night shift, a 16-hour night shift, blah, blah, and I'm like, fucking probably full of shit anyway, but yeah. you know, you're just going to have to wait. And, like, this is, like, the, the dangerous thing about that is, like, I see the self-entitlement just, you know, in this rising. Um, and these what these key workers should really be doing is being humble about it. When somebody asks, what did you do during COVID? I was like, oh, I was actually stacking shelves the whole time in fucking Sainsbury's or whatever. And then it's like, right, then you get your recognition. You don't go around yeah. getting your recognition by telling everyone that you're a key worker. It's like, and I bet out of that, like, 16-hour night shift, it was like 15 hours making fucking TikTok videos and actually one hour, <laughs> like, what, one hour saving somebody's life, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, these people that come up and seen me day and day. 15 most hours. Of them, most of them are probably, they're probably not even key workers, but. Just like 15 hours making TikTok videos, eating your free fucking scoff, and then one hour actually doing your work. <laughs> Maybe. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you've talked a couple of times about Shader. Like, um, how was that going back to Iraq? And like, I know it's a completely different, um, different tour for you. Yeah, so it was actually uh, uh, Al Ambar province, mate. Uh, West of west of Baghdad, quite close to the, the Syrian border, um, in an airbase, Al Assad airbase. Um, so our company, company, we were like the, the sec for security, and there was the company of jocks, um, two platoons of Americans, and then two platoons of Danish, and then Delta Company. They were actually doing like the training side of things and whatnot. But um, yeah, totally different kettle of fish, mate. So Al Assad Air Base, the way it's hard to describe it, it was like an onion, mate. So if you imagine the middle of the onion is like the the main airbase where we all stayed, where the coalition forces stayed, and then the the next bit of onion to that was like the Afghan fucking air force, and then the next bit was like the army, and then it was just like pure open dashed. Right. But um. I mean, it was, the jocks put in a graph, mate. They, they were staggering on that Sanger for like fucking like 12 hours a day. Do you know what I mean? A shift in a Sanger, mate, and then getting the rest off. And, you know, putting up with the heat and then the bullshit. And then, you know, it was just, uh, it was a graft. But it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't hard, but it was, you know what I mean? Yeah. 
what did, what was the Sanger set up like? Was it literally just that empty Sanger, or was there any sort of like um, how was it being run? Was it running pairs, or was there any sort of like fucking chance or downtime or? Yeah, so there'd be two in a Sanger, mate, and it was uh, the typical wooden Sanger with the sandbag. Right. Okay. So very. Uh, yeah, American ones, mate. Quite well built. Um, so what they would do is if they were on, so it was like broken down to sectors, mate. Um, each sector had like six sangers, and then you had like the main gate, the front gate. So I think that the the busiest you would be was if you're on the front gate, mate, because you've got you control the access in the camp, sort of thing. But if there was like casualty exchanges and stuff, so you get the the Iraqi army would like Kazi back into like, the main Assad med center and they'll like hand over at the gate. So that's probably as good as it got. You know, if one if we've got a casualty exchange, mate, then you know that pasture time like fucking squaring that away. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it was good actually working with, you know, because yeah, people say they work with the Americans, but they're not actually, you know, they're probably just in the same base as the Americans. But we were actually like working with them and it was, it was quite good and the Danish as well mate it was really good quite a good experience actually what sort of things did you pick up in terms of like um, you know differences in how they operate or you know just general observations about the Danish and Americans um, so the Danish mate they've got all the gear all their gear is cry gear mate and they're fucking you know the jocks trying to swap their their sweaty fucking Alpha Company PT t-shirt for a I cry fucking you back, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean the, the Americans. Well, everyone loves the jocks, don't they? The, the Americans, fucking, you know, the, some of the jocks have got like still go and like speak to the Americans. I think one of them actually went out and lived with them on their pot and stuff like that. So it was quite good, mate. And um, the, the Danish, they were good to work with. They're a weird bunch, but you know, they, they, they kept themselves to themselves. But then, you know, they had the Gucci fucking cafe where you just had to go and put like a dollar in and you got all the coffee you wanted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fucking robbed them as well. Like yeah. I could catch them from the wire, mate. <laughs> well resourced. Yeah, but now nah, it was quite good, mate. Uh, quite restrained what we could do as well. So there used to be a company of American Marines in the security force and they had the uh, ground sensors out and so anything out with the base was the red zone. So they had like ground sensors in the red zone. And we used to have to go out and change the batteries in them. But when they went up to the Syrian border, they took the ground sensors away from like so we lost that capability sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we kept asking them, well, if there's no ground sensors, can we go and patrol it? Like as you would patrol the dead end and uh, nah, you're not allowed. You need to get like permission from fucking from wherever. You're not allowed to leave the camp. You know, so it was quite, it was shit that way. But um, yeah, a completely yeah. different task in it, doesn't it? Yeah, but the the Iraqis ran the show, mate. They so you had to get uh, flying to Baghdad, and then from Baghdad you had to get checked by the Iraqi customs before you could then fly anywhere in, into Iraq. And if they didn't like the look of the paperwork or the freight you were carrying, then they wouldn't let you fly. Really? You had to, yeah. So if they, if they were pissed off, you know, if you got some some Iraqi who's pissed off, mate, fucking stagging on, if you didn't like you were carrying like spare fucking wheels for the mastiff, then nah, you, you weren't you weren't getting in, mate. 
no fucking no no jump tonight sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> fucking mental. I remember uh, um you got a good bit of um uh like uh morale sort of stuff out in out in the States, didn't you? In terms of like American um people coming to see you and stuff. Mate, um UFC fighters, mate. That was like the fucking highlight. Right, we we Paige Van Zandt, um, Max Holloway, Diego Sanchez. You know, it was unreal, mate. And then they, they took a... Uh, so we, we went, we done one show, mate. And the the like the, the American celebrities were late. So do you remember Full Screw Wally and the Pipes and Drums, the old guy, the old piper? Yeah. Looks about 100. So he had he had his bagpipes, mate. And the American general was like, yeah, so we've got like a piper from Free Scots and he's going to play as a song. So he came out, played the fucking pipes. Americans go mental, mate. His face is red raw, fucking sweating. Comes off the stage and then they waited like another 10 minutes. Nobody was coming. They were obviously late somewhere. And then the, the general came on the stage flapping like fucking. He's like, yeah, okay, so they're late. Um, we've got the pipe. A piper from Free Scots, so what he gets fucking put back on the stage, mate. Plays another set, he's fucking hanging out at this point. <laughs> fucking <laughs> gets like off the stage again. He done it another two times, mate. And by like the fucking <laughs> by the fifth time, he was fucking hanging out. Don't try to blow the pipes up and that. Oh, yeah. fucking <laughs> you could tell he was doing club, mate. But uh, no, nah, it was good, like that. And so they've got like a general mate and that's his sole job to fly out all these people out to visit all the americans wherever they're deployed yeah and he get he gets them in on like special visas and you know it's quite a big thing yeah but no it was quite you'll never get the chance to like see any of them mate and there was a country singer i can't remember his name he came with his band he's obviously quite big in america and um like at the end, he was like, "Yeah, does, so does anyone like playing instruments, or can anyone sing?" And some American guy got up and said, "Yeah, you know, I play the fucking, I play the drums." And they had this like mad box thing where they sit on it and they like play it like a fucking bongo sort of thing. He's like, "Oh, can you play this?" He's like, "Yeah, I'll give it a try." So he went up, he like fucking tried to play it, and ended up like signing this fucking drum box thing, mate. Yeah, this is yours now. You can keep it. Like, anyone play the guitar and they're like, yeah I'll play the guitar and he's like fucking play me a song mate and he like played him a song and then like the, the main country singer guy was like here you go man here's my guitar send his guitar fucking give it to me mate. <laughs> well, who, who did we have on Harry 10 like Freddie Flintoff came out didn't he and David Beckham, Beckham yeah. imagine like Freddie Flintoff like the shiny fucking cricket bats mate <laughs> <laughs> I remember on Eric 15 now we got choir singers mate <laughs> they came out for, they came out and done a half hour like choir choir performance in the fob and I think it was 12 people rocked up jocks all crying that that's beautiful as <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> just sat when I want to call home <laughs> fucking voices of angels these cunts <laughs> it's a different world isn't it oh man yeah massive it's just because they've got so much resources and so much money it's uh, yeah. Completely different fucking kettle of fish. Um, right, well, we'll probably kind of try and wrap up here. I'll, probably, uh, I'll, I'll just ask then, if you could go back and do something um, differently with the hindsight of what you know now, 
Uh, what do you think that would be? Oh, fucking hell. Um, Dropping bombs on you at the end. I know, mate. Fuck. It's, I don't uh, know, mate. I think... I think, you know, that I would have probably tried to join something. Like, knowing what I know now about the army and what there actually is out there, I would have probably joined to get a trade of some sort. But then I'm like, well, no, you fucking idiot, because then you wouldn't be in the position that you are now. You know what I mean? Yeah. You wouldn't have the experience you've had now. But um, that's a tough one, mate. I don't yeah, know. I, there's, I, always, there's always things that you, you think. You know, when you've been in some situations, you always come away thinking that, you know, I should have done this better, I should have done that better. Yeah, fuck knows, mate. You've caught me off, you've caught me off guard. <laughs> I would um I would try and I would try and volunteer for more things. I mean I volunteer yeah. I felt like I volunteered for a lot, but I felt like I also turned a lot of opportunities away because I was too good for them, which is, you know, a ridiculous statement. Um but that's the truth at the time. Like I, I generally, you know, had a little bit of self arrogance about myself. Um and that came from the fact that I, all I wanted to do is do infantry shit and you know I, I, f I felt like I was really good at my job um, and then I didn't want to go away and do a fucking uh, a kayak and AT call and I didn't want yeah. to go away and do um, a, a health and safety at work fucking call and I'm like you know like these sort of things come up and I'm like fuck that well like literally honestly every little thing that you do you learn something uh, yeah. and it's it may you know, it might just be what fucking colour codes fire extinguishers are. And that sounds stupid, but if you've got a fucking electrical fire and you put water on it, have you, let's say you've got a, a chip pan uh, fire and you put water on it, then you, you're essentially putting fucking diesel on it and making the fire yeah. 10 times bigger. And it's just little things like that. Like, it just make overall, the more and more and more and more and more you do, the more and more and more you become a f like a fully uh, well-rounded fucking individual. But at the time, I'm thinking... I've already got it squared away. I fucking know everything. You can't teach me shit. Like I'm the fucking dog's ball. Yeah. But like I would have yeah, just, just volunteered for more stuff. Quad yeah. license and shit like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> nah, but yeah, like you said, mate, I mean, so since I've been here, there's been quite a lot of trolls came out to go and do like um, short-term training teams. And one came out for Lebanon like over over Christmas time. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, oh, I want to do it. But then I'm like, well, no, because then I'm meant to be here, like, I've got a job here to do sort of thing. I'm, like, to get away from a job, and I don't put my name down for it. But, you know, like, maybe I should, you know, see where it takes me sort of thing. Mm. But, yeah, you'll never know. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, like, um, coming to terms with, like, the fact that, for me, it was definitely, like, uh, education and building your, building your own self up is the best thing that an individual can do for you know, like their mental health, their personal progression and whatever they're going to be doing, whether it be military, whether it be coming out of the military, like all these little skills, they all add up. Uh, yeah. And like I say, if like, you're fucking ever in a situation when your house is on fire and you don't know what fucking shit to put it out with, then, you know, <laughs> you know, the, you, you might pick something like that up, a useful skill like that on one of these shithole courses that sometimes come up and get offered for you. 
But yeah, it's been yeah. an absolute fucking pleasure having you on. Um, and I, I fucking, this has been the longest one, I think. So nearly three hours. So um, that, yeah, that's, that's a credit to how interested I was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I'm going to start doing these, um, releasing them on two uh, on Sundays at two o'clock. So that's yeah. when that's when this will go live. Um, and I'm sure you've seen on my, my Insta that the reason why is because so guys can get it in the car or on the train or whatever when they're going back up to camp or yeah um, wherever they're fucking going on Sunday night course or whatever yeah happy days mate yeah it's been a pleasure yeah well we'll fucking uh, if you want we'll come, come back on again in the future sometime um, we're always well yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure well is it thank you very yeah. much Take it easy, mate. Take care, big man. Bye. All right, see you later.